0: All right, if you'll note on, uh, on the sheet that we handed out last week, that is the one that's uh, attached to the back of uh, the one that you got this week, the one that says Rediscovering Baptism. We talked last week extensively about how to do a word study. And if you need a copy of that, uh, send me an email or uh, send me a text message. I'll be glad to send that to you if you weren't here last week. Um, but I would be glad to send that one to you. But as we broke down and looked at the word baptism and what it's all about and what it has to teach us, um, flip back to the back page here just for a moment and take a look at, um, the chart that we have, the one that says baptize on one side and then it says, uh, baptism on the other side. This was just a simple search that we did, um, via the Bible program ESWORD. If it is that you have a concordance, you can look in the concordance and say, what does the Bible say about baptism? And you it has all of the scriptures listed there and referenced, um, based upon that Greek word, G, uh, G907, it's, uh, it says there on the front of it. That's the uh, Strong's uh, Concordance numbering of all of the Bible words, of all the words that are used in the English Bible, and uh, you know, or uh, Hebrew and, and Greek Bible. And it, he assigns a number to them, and then how many times they're used. As you look here, we made the note last week that Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and Galatians are the book Bibles uh, or the Bibles, excuse me, the books in our New Testament that use the word baptism. And once again, we noted also that you'll notice that Acts uses almost on a two-to-one basis uh, the word baptism more than any other book. That's going to be important for us because as we synthesize and we draw all of this together in a conclusion about what the Bible says about this particular word that we're looking at, it's going to help us to draw some conclusions about what God says about baptism and the importance of it. Again, you can do this with literally any Bible word. You start off with a verse and you say, from this verse, I want to find out what confession is. I want to find out what um, love is, what Greek word is that? And so you look and you say, I want to see all the places where this word love is used, starting with uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And then we're going to draw a list uh, based upon that and then kind of uh, draw it all together so that we can look at that. How is this useful? How is this helpful? Alan has been doing on Wednesday night, as we mentioned last week, a study of the Greek word or a study of the word bread, uh, both Hebrew and Greek, used throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. But if we take a word like baptism, with which there is, I think we would all agree, a lot of confusion based upon what it is, what it does, what its purpose is, um, uh, and the theology of baptism, understand what we're going to do today is to... If we were to wipe the slate clean, you're talking to somebody about baptism. Well, we're just going to take all the relevant verses where it talks about particularly water baptism. And we're going to go through the New Testament and we're going to look at each one of those. What kind of theology does that paint? What does it say about what God says about it? And how is it that this, uh, that is, this applies to us? This was actually a lesson that was done years and years ago by a, a gospel preacher by the name of N.B. Hardiman. And again, as he put it all together, um, all it was was him just turning to the pages where it talks about water baptism and saying, what does it do? If we were to start over from the beginning of the New Testament to see that all the places where the word baptize or baptism is used, how is it going to be um, helpful for us? And so there's going to be a whole lot of turning today. I, I encourage you to take your Bible and take a look at these things together as we draw some conclusions about this word. Open up to the first one here, to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 6. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 6. Again, what we're going to do is I want you to, as much as possible, try and erase all preconceived notions about what you think water baptism is or what it does, and let's just look at the word and let's look at the verses that it, uh, that it lies in. Look at Matthew chapter 3 and verse 6. Speaking of John the Baptist coming in the wilderness of Judea, preaching uh, repentance there in verse two. As we jump down to verse five, then Jerusalem, all Judea and the region out around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized uh, by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. What we learn from this verse is they were baptized, whatever that means. They were baptized in the Jordan. There's a river. And they were baptized, and as they were baptized, they were confessing their sins. Note those two things. They were baptized, whatever that means of the Jordan, and as they did so, they were confessing their sins. Jump down to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 11. As John visits with the religious leaders of that day, John says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. Repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier me, whose uh, sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Note that baptism, the baptism particularly we're looking at, the one of water, John did and he baptized with water unto repentance. It was done with water and it was done unto repentance. Look at chapter 3 and verse 13, same context. Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. As he would go down into the water, verse 16, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open, Then he saw the spirit of God descending upon him and alighting upon him. And of course, the voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Note that Jesus went down into the water and what happened? He came up out of the water. This is not, it doesn't seem like something, again, just from Matthew chapter 3, that anything was done with regard to sprinkling or pouring, and we dealt with those things last week when we were actually looking at the word that vines used, right? Jump to the end of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19. Again, this is just one of the applications of doing a word study, but Matthew 28 and verse 19 We know this passage as the Great Commission. Jesus says, verse 19, go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What does he say? Go and make disciples of all the nations. There is... Baptism that's done, baptiz- uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is to be followed by, or excuse me, it followed teaching. Making disciples means that necessarily we're going to have to teach one of those things, which is baptism. Note also that in this passage, it teaches this, that this is to be done by who? Go make disciples of, who is this for? All the nations. It's for, and to be done by everybody. Everybody. And it's also to be done, thirdly, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You just take what Matthew says about this word that we're studying. He says there were people that were baptized in the Jordan, whatever that means. They were confessing their sins as they were uh, baptized. It was done with water. After Jesus was baptized, he went down into the water and then he came up out of the water. Note also that it was followed by teaching and that it also follows with teaching. Uh, It was to be done by everybody, and it's to be done in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we already know some significant things about this word if we start over from scratch, right? Take a look in the next book, Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Follow the word baptism, particularly water baptism. Mark chapter 1 and verse 4. John, that is John the baptizer, came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So it was associated with both repentance and it was also associated with being forgiven or remission of sins. Jump over to the end of the book of Mark, Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Again, as Jesus gives a uh, commission to his disciples, he says, verse 15, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Interesting. Mark associates at the beginning that it's done with repentance for the remission of sins. At the very end of Mark, he talks about it being following belief, following by salvation. What is baptism? Baptism. Well, we still don't necessarily know, and so we're still going to continue looking on our on our uh, on a list here. Luke chapter three and verse three. Luke chapter three and verse three. This verse follows parallel to Matthew three and Mark chapter one, and he. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Again, Mark, uh, Mark chapter one, uh, Matthew chapter three. There's no new information here in the book of Luke. But again, it's helpful to look and say this is uh, this is um, consistent throughout all the gospel accounts. Look at Luke chapter seven, and verse twenty eight. Jesus says, for I say to you, among those born of woman, there's not a greater prophet than John the baptizer, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Again, if you're looking at this, it also uh, follows teaching and doing so uh, justify God not doing so meant rejecting the counsel of God. I missed a verse here. Luke seven and verse 28. Let's see, maybe John three, verse 22, sorry, 29, excuse me. Ah, there you go. And when all the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. John comes. He's preaching a, water, a, bapti- a baptism. He's baptizing people in the water, as uh, Matthew 3 and verse 6 talks about. Matthew three eleven. it was done in water. And these people heard him. The tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Luke chapter 7 and verse 29. It follows teaching. It justifies God and doing so meant rejecting the counsel of God look at john 3 verse 22 john chapter 3 and verse 22 you can look at actually 22 and 23 after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now, John was also baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was much water there, and they came and they were baptized. All right, Jesus was baptizing, again, whatever that is, in this place because there was much water there. We haven't yet learned from the Gospel accounts why that's significant, but we know that's important because. John, the forerunner of Jesus, was doing it. Jesus sent his disciples. Jesus commanded his disciples to do it in uh, Matthew 28 and Mark 16. And now here we find Jesus and, uh, and his apostles that were doing it here in uh, verse 22. All right. All right. So jumping down to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. We're going to spend a little bit of time here in the book of Acts. Think about Acts chapter 2 as the hub of the Bible. Everything that's come before has been working up to this moment, and everything that happens afterwards points back to this moment. So as we look at Acts chapter 2 and what's significant about it, what's the purpose of Acts 2 or what happens on Acts 2? It's the beginning of the church, right? As the church begins, note what's present in verse 38. Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This verse, again, we learn a number of things about this word baptism. It follows repentance. It's followed by the remission of sins, like we saw in Mark chapter one. It's followed by the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it also, if we jump down further in context, results in being added to the church, right? Look down at verse um, verse 41. Those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day there were about 3,000 souls were added to them. Added to who? Look down at verse 47. They were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You have baptism followed by rem- uh, Repentance. It follows repentance. It's followed by remission of sins. It's followed by the gift of the Holy Spirit and it results in being added to the church. Jump over to Acts chapter 8. We're just putting together a theology of what baptism is and what the Bible says about it as we try and discover what it means and how it applies to us. But when they believed, Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Right? Acts chapter 8, verse 12. What does baptism follow? Teaching or belief. Not just teaching, but here's people that are believing the teaching. They believe the things concerning uh, the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. So it follows belief. that. Follows squarely in line of what we looked at here just a little while ago from the gospel accounts. Look at verse 36 in the same chapter. Philip preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 35, Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, that's Isaiah 53, he preached Jesus to them. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. A number of things about these verses. What is it connected to? We're doing this. What's uh, baptism connected to? Repentance. 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 It's faith and belief, right? It's connected to the preaching about who? He connected it to the preaching about Jesus. Uh, verse 35 Philip opened his mouth. He began at this scripture. He preached Jesus to them. Now they're driving down the road, and the eunuch stops and says, Wait, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? What's connected? Here's preaching about Jesus. Here's baptism. There was some part of the conversation that we don't have record of where Philip connected the dots between Jesus and between this baptism in water, as we're talking about from, uh, from well, from our word study. It was required. Water was required. Note that they both went down into the water. Note that they both came up out of the water. Again, this looks very suspicious to us, but we don't yet know what baptism is. Um, quickly, a couple of others here in the book of Acts. Look at chapter nine, verse eighteen. Chapter nine, verse eighteen. Jump back to verse seventeen. Catch the context. Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, "Brother Saul, uh, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has, uh, as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit." Immediately there fell something from his eyes like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. Look at chapter 10 and verse 47. Chapter 10 and verse 47. As Peter preaches to uh, Cornelius and his household. They obviously believe up in the uh, up in the context, but verse forty-seven, Peter says, "Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have?" And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they ask him to stay a few days. Jump over to Acts sixteen, Acts chapter sixteen, and verse fifteen. Paul, who is preaching to a number of women who are sitting down by the riverside, there was a woman named Lydia who heard uh, Paul, and it seems like Luke was present there on the occasion. When she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and say. So she persuaded us. Look down at verse 33. Again, the uh, Philippian jailer. Verse 30, he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, "Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and all your household." And they spoke the word of the Lord to him. Note, there's the teaching. And he took them into uh, all who were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Interesting case there as, uh, as we're looking. Um, look at verse, 18, verse uh, chapter 18, verse eight, chapter 18 verse eight. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed, and were baptized. Note the three things that have been connected. Here's the teaching, here's the belief. Uh, This doesn't necessarily talk about the repentance, but we know based upon the previous passages we've looked at, that's part of it. But there's also still this word that uh, that they were baptized. Look at chapter 19, verse 3. 19, verse 3. Actually, let's look at nineteen one through 5. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, after having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, finding some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we've not so much heard as to whether there is a Holy Spirit. He said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who was to come after, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. All right. Acts 22 and verse 16. Acts 22 and verse 16. Paul recounting his experience there on the road to Damascus. As he says there in verse 16, uh, recounting the words of Ananias, he says, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. All of these things we've looked at, the repentance, the confession, the belief, the hearing, all of these are are, um, predecessors to what we have in this word baptism. But note also in just those verses, we looked at the urgency of that. You have again and again and again, he was, he rose the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately they were baptized. They got up, they went, they immediately, they were baptized. There is urgency that the book of Acts talks about and, and uh, pushes towards as uh, this act of baptism. There is urgency in that. Questions or comments up until this point? Again, just looking at it uh, for, for what the Bible says about it before we leave the gospel accounts and Acts. All righty Romans chapter 6 and verses 3 and 4. Romans 6 verses 3 and 4. As Paul talks about this, um, he's talking about a change of mindset. He's talking about a death that occurs. And he's saying to these Roman Christians, listen, we can't go about behaving as if grace is going to just cover everything that we want to do. That is, we can't continue, verse 1 and 2, we can't continue in sin that grace may abound. He says, how shall we that have died to sin live any longer in it? Note what he says there in verse 3. Or do you not know as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him by through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. What does he say we're baptized into? Christ's death. death. What are we also baptized into? We're baptized into Christ. We're baptized into his death. And as just as Christ, just as Christ, was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, he was buried... He was raised, so we are buried, we are raised, and it's here in baptism that Paul tells us we come into contact with the power of his death. How are our sins washed away? From a gospel account in the book of Acts, it's because we contact the the death of Christ, we ourselves die. Therefore, as we are raised uh, from the dead uh, by the power of the Father, by the glory of the Father, we walk in newness of life. Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians deals with some divisions within the church. uh, Jump back up to verse 11 and we'll pick up the context. Paul says, for it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, the Corinthians talking about them, by those who are of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. There is baptism, but if it's done baptism done by man's authority, it's going to bring about division. What Christ desires is the simple gospel, nothing more, that we are baptized into whose name? Christ's name. And again, the simple gospel is going to yield the desired results, again, whatever those may be, as we're looking at this. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. talking about the oneness of the body. <coughs> First Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into what? We were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. We're baptized into one body. And if I want to add a cross-reference to this, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, the body is the, it's the church. That falls in line with Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and 47, as we looked at earlier, right? You're starting to connect the dots a little bit about this. Um, jump over to 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. We're almost there. Galatians 3 and verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. For as many of you as baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It's very similar to uh, what he was talking about there in, um, in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 12. There is therefore no, now no Jew or Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's na- neither bond nor female or male nor female. Rather, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. How did we get into Christ Jesus? All right, what does he say there in verse 27? For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. All right, we are baptized into Christ. Right? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5. Ephesians 4 and verse 5. The ones of Ephesians chapter 4. There is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one. One baptism. There is only one acceptable baptism. You can only do it once and you can only do it one way. Look at Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12. You are buried with him, Christ, in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. That's kind of language that's similar to what we looked at in Romans chapter 6, isn't it? With Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, it tells us there's a burial. It tells us there's a resurrection. It is a work that is enacted by faith. But it is God that works in raising Christ from the dead, who also again, back from Romans chapter 6, raises us to walk in newness of life. And so you have the baptism being a burial, a resurrection that's enacted by faith, and it is God that works. All right, last one. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. There is an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of filth from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What does Peter say that baptism does? There is an antitype that also now, it saves us. Folks, it's not about taking a bath. It's not about washing our skin clean. But it's about where an honest heart obediently responds to God through the gospel. It is where you find the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see all of those things from what we've looked at. Right? Can we draw some conclusions about baptism now based upon this word study? Well, let me ask you this. Can you do this? Just go through everywhere where it talks about a particular type of of, of use of that word, and go through and draw a some conclusions based upon that. Yes or no? Some of y'all looking at me like, you can. You can. Do you see where this might be helpful in talking to somebody who has a false view of something like baptism? I don't know. Logical conclusions about baptism. Follow us, please. This is number one here on your sheet if you're interested in filling the blank. Baptism involved confession of sin. Baptism involved confession of sin. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 6. Baptism is something that needs much water or uses water, specifically much water. Baptism uses water, specifically much water. Matthew 3.13 and Acts chapter 8. It uses water, specifically much water. Baptism is needed by who? Everybody who can do it. Everyone who can do it. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Who is the them? It's the all nations. Go and preach the gospel to every creature. Mark 16, verse 15. Baptizing them, right? Or uh, he that believes and is baptized. It's needed by everyone who can do it. That's number three. Drawing conclusions about this word. Baptism is preceded by what? By teaching Baptism is preceded by faith, and it's preceded by repentance. Baptism is preceded by teaching, by faith, and by repentance. All of these passages, put them all together and draw a conclusion based upon what each one of them is telling you. Teaching, faith, and repentance. Number five, what else does this word study reveal to us? Baptism is done in the name of who? The Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. It's done in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Note what follows it it is followed by the gift of the Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's followed by salvation. It's followed by remission of sins. It's followed by being added to the church. It's followed by the gift of the Holy Spirit, salvation, 1 Peter 3.21, remission of sins, Acts 2.38, Acts 22.16, and being added to the church, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. Newness of life, if you want to add that one too, from Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Romans 6.4. Baptism, verse 7, is urgent. It's urgent. Look again at the conversions in the book of Acts. It wasn't something that they waited for a convenient time. It wasn't something that they waited till the following baptismal Sunday. It was that they got up the same hour and they went and they did it urgently. They did it immediately. There is urgency in it. Verse seven, and that's number 7. Again, look at back at the conversion book uh, conversions of the book of Acts. Number eight, it involves going into the water. It involves going into the water. Acts eight says, Philip, and the Ethiopian, they both what? Went down into the water. John was baptizing uh, in the Jordan here and on near Salim because there was Much water. He was doing this act and he was down in the water. Note also verse number nine, it's something that involves coming out of the water. You don't stay in the baptismal pool. It involves coming out of the water. Acts chapter eight, verse 38. What Romans teaches baptism is, number 10, is a burial followed by a resurrection. It is a burial followed by a resurrection. Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. Look at number 11. It puts one into Christ. It puts one into Christ. Galatians 3 and verse 27. It puts one into Christ's death. That is the saving power. It puts one into Christ's death, which is the saving power. Romans 6, 3 and 4. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 and 4. It puts one into Christ's death, which is the saving power. Number 13, it puts one into the church, or you can say Christ's church, puts one in uh, into Christ's church, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. It puts one into Christ's resurrection. That is the power of life. Into Christ's resurrection, the power of life, Romans 6 and verse 5. Number 15, it can, be don't only, can only be done correctly once. It can only be done correctly once. Ephesians 4 and verse 4, there's how many b- baptisms? There's one baptism. When you look back at those disciples there in Acts chapter 19, had they been baptized into the right thing? No, they needed the baptism of Christ. They need to be baptized into Christ's baptism. There's only one baptism. Um, number 16, almost there. It can only be done correctly in one way. It can only be done correctly once, but it can only be done correctly in one way. Ephesians chapter four and verse four. Number 17: In doing so or doing so justifies God. It should be doing so justifies God." Luke 7:29. "Doing so justifies God. Failing to do so means rejecting God's counsel. Failing to do so means rejecting God's counsel. That's number 18, Luke 7 and verse 30. Failing to do so means rejecting God's counsel. And last one, this requires the response of an honest heart to God's word requires the response of an honest heart to God's word. That's 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. Looking at this and drawing all of this together, does this paint a picture of what the purpose of baptism is for? Yes, no, maybe so. It does. Doing a word study ought to give us a better understanding about the way that word is used, the context in which it's used, but also to be able to draw some conclusions about why it is that that word's there in the first place. Folks, do you realize that, again, the majority of the religious world that we deal with has a misunderstanding about this very word, but just simply looking at the way that this word is used, particularly in the context of water baptism, Even if we don't necessarily understand the immediate context or the remote context about that, we can also paint this same picture that the Bible does to say this is what this this is for. This is the purpose for that. That's the power of a word study like this. Again, can you do this with a friend of yours? Let's just open up the Bible. Let's begin in the book of Matthew and let's look at all the places where it talks about water baptism. Here's a conclusion that I think is very powerful. Do you realize that as the steps of salvation, as we sometimes call them, are used, there is never any occasion where it tells us we believe into Christ, where we repent into Christ, where we confess into Christ. But that's exactly what the religious world is teaching uh, teaching people, that all you need to do is just believe and you're in Christ. You believe into Christ. The Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. There is only one place where it tells us that we can actually get into Christ. And where is that? Galatians 23, 27. You were baptized into Christ. There's only one door in the building. How are you going to get into the building? (laughs) It's not a trick question. (laughs) There's only one door in the building. How are you going to get into the building? You got to go through the door. Again, this is not me saying this. This is the Bible saying this. We're taking the theology of what baptism is and looking that and expounding on it and just reading these verses and saying it's a far cry from saying that it's an outward sign of an inward grace, that it's just like my wedding ring, which I forgot this morning. That's a poor illustration, right? But it's like a wedding ring. A wedding ring doesn't marry me. You know, a wedding ring is just a symbol to show that I'm married, that I'm taken. Just like what the religious world teaches, they'll say that baptism is just a symbol. They'll say that that you're a part of Christ. That's not what the Bible says that it is. The Bible says it's so important that it is, if we're using illustration of marriage, it's signing a marriage certificate. It's turning that in and saying, this is, I have identified with Christ. I have been buried with Christ. I've been raised with Christ. Just like Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so I also should walk in newness of life, Romans 6 and verses 3 and 4. I've repented of my sins. I've said, you know what? I don't want to live in that anymore. I've confessed the name of Christ. I've confessed those things and said, I don't want to behave this way anymore. And as I'm baptized, Colossians would tell me, we've put off the old man. We've killed him. We've mortified him. He's dead. The old man was buried in the watery grave of baptism. You know what came up out of the water? A new man. A new life. A life that's contacted the blood of Jesus. And as a person comes up out of the water of baptism, they're clean. Brand new birth. And as they begin to walk in their Christian life, they've left the old behind. They've left that old man in the grave. Can't go back to the old man, can't try and perform a resurrection on him. But it is that that gives us salvation. As we walk in the light, as he is in the light, I know that I have the forgiveness of sins, the continual cleansing of my sins. But how do I get in? How do I get into the church? What's the one door? Galatians twenty three twenty seven. you were baptized into Christ. Baptism puts us into Christ. Baptism puts us into the church, Acts 2, verse 42 and 47. It's different than what the religious world is teaching. And we've just looked at this from Sunday morning and gone through all these verses. And thank you so much for hanging with me and turning in your pages. And I hope it is that you realize that any Bible subject that you look at, if you do this practice of the word study and then group the words the way that they're used, Again, I know that there's baptism of the Holy Spirit. You know, I know that there is baptism fire, as the Bible talks about. But if we're looking at water baptism, the way that it's used in its majority, again, we'll talk about some, uh, we'll do a sermon later on that talks about the water baptism, fire baptism thing. But again, those don't have any bearing based upon what we're talking about here in this water baptism. But as we look at this, we can draw some wonderful conclusions about what the Bible teaches about it, and not have to take one man's word or another man's word. Just open up the Bible and see the way that the word's used. Questions or comments about that? You understand what we've done this morning? We did our synthesis of the word study of the baptism last week. And we just took all the words that referred to water baptism. And have just drawn to some conclusions based upon what it says about that. You can do the same thing with Holy Spirit baptism or fire baptism. Just see where they're used. And see if it doesn't lead us to some conclusions based upon that. Questions or comments as we finish up? Yes, sir. That was the that Right. That's a good point. Yeah, I was trying to track with you just for a minute, but I'm, I'm with you. Absolutely. All right, y'all, uh, we've got the little ones coming out, and uh, my son's going to come run up out here pretty quick, so we're going to uh, call a day there. Thank you so much for your attention. I hope it's been helpful for you.